Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Senator Kamala Harris wants you to know a few things. She's not paying attention to the polls. Her policy proposals are guided by what she says is doing the right thing, even if it's not popular. She's cooking Thanksgiving dinner in Iowa, but she's getting her collard greens and sweet potatoes from South Carolina. And she believes President Trump has reason to be afraid of her. Find out why in this conversation at a hotel in Columbia, South Carolina, right now. Senator Kamala Harris, thank you very much for coming Uh, back to the podcast. It's great to be with you always, Jonathan. And we're here in Columbia, South Carolina. Yes. Um, How's the campaign going? It's going really well. We had the best weekend um, of we did a whole weekend of action with black women from around the country. And of course, with an incredible amount of emphasis of the leaders here in South Carolina. And it was wonderful. People flew in. um, There were a variety of events, but it included um, knocking and walking and knocking on doors and and engaging voters and talking about the issues. And um, I'm told it was historic that a presidential campaign did that in the Mm -hmm. way that we did it. So Mm -hmm. it was really great. People left here, I think, feeling a real sense of purpose and um, and engagement. Mm -hmm. So let me... I have sensed a change, um, and I and I saw it at the Iowa at the Des Moines Liberty and Justice Dinner, uh-huh. where you walked out on the stage, and from the your first words were, "We all know why we're here," yeah, and it was the way you said it, and what you had to say that made me pay much more attention than I already do uh-huh. because to me it seemed like something's different <laughs> something's changed uh-huh. <laughs> and by the end of the 15 minute speech I was like that's Kamala uh-huh. that's the Kamala I've gotten to know since yeah. 2012 yeah, so what's least, yeah. what's changed because something I, has changed I don't know Jonathan I mean look I'm, I'm 10 months plus in the campaign I'm all about real talk. You know, there's too much at stake. And, um, and you know, and, and, and I have always said and I've always felt justice is on the ballot. It's my whole career. It's everything I've always fought for. Um, our theme for the people it has been consistent. And, and I'm articulating it because I do believe that when I, when I look at issues that relate to the things that keep people up at night, that are about economic justice, about reproductive justice about healthcare justice these are these are fundamentally issues about the unfairness the inequities and what we need to do to fight to change it so the caution is gone i think that's what i'm get, i'm getting at it seems like the caution that was there from the moment you announced until you walked across that stage in des moines seemed to evaporate seemed to you seem more comfortable in in your own skin and in your own message, or am I reading too? Am I reading too much reading, into this? You're reading a lot into it. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same person. I you know I'm I'm the same person in terms of always. You know, the reason I got in this race is because I do believe that these are the issues that need to be spoken, and they need to be spoken in a truthful way. You know, even from the earliest days of my campaign. I talked about that we need to speak truth, uncomfortable though it may make people. Mm-hmm. And that's about having a direct conversation about the challenges that people face and talking about it in a way that's, that's, that's just honest and, and direct. 
So then why do you think there was a moment where you were, relatively speaking, riding high Uh in the polls around June, May, June. And since then, there's been a steady, a steady slide. Why do you think, why do you think that is? Is it because there are like 50, 11 candidates or... I'd honestly, Jonathan, I'd leave that to the pundits and the pollsters to talk about. I'm focused on, you know, I don't ride those polls. I don't, I don't ride high. I don't ride low, ever. Um, so someone says, oh, the, the, you know, we've surged in the polls. It means nothing to me. Oh, we're, we're declining in the polls means nothing to me. We just have to be steady. And um, it may be because I've had the experience of running very difficult campaigns before that I've, I've learned that. That you have to, you can't focus on anything other than the voters. And that's, that's, so that's where my mind is. That's mm-hmm. where my head is. And I'll let my, you know, I'll let my political team and my consultants focus on the polls. Um, the, the polls here in South Carolina, and there's no, there's no mistaking why you're here, why yeah. all the candidates are here. Right. Um, it's for the African-American vote. And the African-American vote is more than 60% of the Democratic electorate here. Mm -hmm. And yet the person who's polling best with African-American voters is Vice President Biden. Are you making any headway against him in snagging that vote? Well, let's be clear that, you know, not everyone started out in the same place in this this campaign. Um, And... You know, when when it comes to the vice president, he was he's been on the national stage for decades. He has done some good work over the years, and he's recognized for that and known for that. Um, he was vice president for two terms, um, vice president to what is arguably what the the most popular president we've ever had. So he's very well known. And you've got, you know, other people in the race who, you know, came into the race with $10 million, which is a profound amount of startup capital, which allows them to then have a, an organization and, and the bandwidth to actually be able to, to get a message out. Because unfortunately and sadly, money has so much to do with um, your ability to introduce yourself to people. Um, there's another candidate who ran for president last time. And, um, and, and, and started with a, a list of, you know, well over a million people. And so when I look at somebody like um, the vice president in South Carolina, he's known. But the interesting thing is that the voters are still have not made a decision about where they're going, and they're not, and they're not committed. And so our challenge is to, to spend the time um, doing exactly what we've been doing, which is talking with folks and being present and organizing community events and town halls and all that we've been doing over the course of the last 10 months. I think that I have visited South Carolina as much, if not more, than any other candidate. And, um, and I'm going to continue to do that because it's still a process of introduction. Mm-hmm. How do you address the, or, yeah, how do you address the fear that, some African Americans might have that because of the two terms of arguably the most popular president uh, in recent memory, who's a- who's African American, that they read white voters won't vote for another black person for president. How do you disabuse folks with that fear? I mean, let me let's again in the interest of straight talk and just real talk. Look, um, I'm fully aware of the challenge that we and my candidacy presents. 
which is asking people to believe in something they've never seen before. I'm fully aware of that. There have been 45 presidents of the United States, and not one of them looks like me. So the point of reference for people about who can do what is in many ways limited. And we're asking people to expand um, the, 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 the possibility of, of, of who can do what as it relates to being president of the United States. And I'm, a, I'm well aware of the challenge before us in that regard. But this is a challenge I've always faced. In every way, race I have run, Jonathan, I have been the first when I won. And, and so this is not new to me. And what we have to do is, um, is, is, is again, it's about an introduction. It is about um, a- allowing people to, to remember that we, as Americans, the very nature of who we are, are we culturally, that we have the ability to see what can be. I'm burdened by what has been. We have the ability to see what is possible even when we've never seen it before. And I know that to be true. That's why I stand here having won every race. So I'm going to put my faith in the American people every day of the week. Because in spite of what you know, some might think is not possible, I've seen that the American people make what's possible, that they don't sit back and wait for somebody to give them permission to say it's possible, they make it possible. But it's a challenge. There is no question about that. And look, this is not 2007, 2008. This is 2020. And we have, as a very significant intervening fact, November of 2016. We have, as a very significant intervening fact, that Donald Trump is president of the United States. And Democrats rightly, for all kinds of very, very legitimate, good, and clear reasons, want him out and don't want to assume any risk in terms of the possibility that we can win. And so I understand that. I'm not mad at it because I understand it. And so, therefore, we have a challenge, a challenge I'm prepared to meet. Let's talk about Well, we're going to come back to Trump to mm-hmm. Trump later, because I do want to get into issues. One of the things was that the at the Liberty and Justice Dinner in Iowa, was that the first time you talked about the, the phrase justice is on the ballot? Um, I have definitely used the phrase before. It may. I don't know. It may be. I don't know. We'll have to check that. Well, I mean, I, yeah. that, I mean, that's but, neither but, here but, nor there. I mean, I've, I've always talked about. This is an issue of these are the injustices, mm-hmm. right, and um, and that these are present. We'll have to check that. It may be right, uh, and I only bring that up because I thought it was it was an incredible refrain yeah. that gives people a point of reference because right. you in that speech right. you talk about healthcare yes. is on the yes. uh, is on the ballot. Healthcare justice, mm-hmm. justice is the the key mm-hmm. word. Um, healthcare justice is on the ballot, and one of the big things has been. You know, Medicare for all. Yeah. Um, right now, Senator Warren is getting knocked around for her her health care proposal, mm-hmm. her Medicare for all proposal. Um, do you find it interesting that where she has landed is where you have been for the last few months? I mean, I, I have maintained and in, 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 in part in my immodesty, I have maintained that mine is the best plan. I know it to be true. We took a lot of time, did a lot of work, spoke with a lot of experts, 
um, before we made th th this plan, which I know it, it to be the best plan for Medicare for all. Well, well, let's talk about this yeah. because I mean, you were knocked around early earlier on in the campaign for you know this sort of the drive-by questioning in that one debate where you put your hand up. Yes, do away with with private insurance. Um, well, I said I would get I would give up mine. That's that was the question, <laughs> right? Okay. Yes. Uh -huh. All right. But as a result, you were just saying before that you, through a lot of talking to people, mm -hmm. you understood, not mm -hmm. discovered, understood that the that your healthcare stance was not. Yeah. Either. Let me let me tell you. Let me tell you. So I was, I think, the first or one of the first to support Bernie's Medicare for All plan, and I will always give Bernie credit for really pushing forward this conversation. He deserves credit mm -hmm. for that. Um, but as I was critically evaluating the plan and traveling our country, it became very clear to me that it was not, it, it, it's flawed, that it's flawed. Um, one, we don't, need, we don't need to and we shouldn't raise middle class taxes. Two, um, my friends in labor were very clear that they need a longer transition period because for so many of them, they negotiated a contract where they, um, they, they negotiated to receive really great health care plans, but the, the, the exchange was that they would not take an increase in salaries. So they were saying, Kamala, with this four-year transition period, that doesn't give us enough time to, to renegotiate our contracts. So I made mine 10 years. But the, the most critical distinction, which is the most critical um, issue for, for most Americans, is don't take away my choice. And they said to me, Kamala, don't take away my choice. I want the choice of a private plan or a public plan. And so I created a, a, a Medicare for All plan that does not take away choice but does rein in the insurance companies because I have too long an experience knowing about how they've jacked up prices. That's why my plan eliminates co-pays and deductibles. And if the insurance companies want to compete in our plan, then they can, but they're going to have to do it by our rules. Was that one of the, the issues early on is that you were being asked about health care and health care, your, your views on health care when you had not settled on your own viewpoint of what a health care plan should look like or a Medicare for all plan should look like? I, listen, I agreed to the, um, the idea, the overall idea and, and plan of Medicare for all, but it needed to be made better, and I made it better, and that's it. And look, I'm at a, a stage of life and career where I'm never going to let pride associate or, or political expediency associate with my positions. It needed to be better, and I made it better. Knowing that I might take on a political hit, but you know what? In, in my career, Jonathan, for me, my guiding star is to do the right thing, even if it may not always be politically popular or give me political chits, because I want that people respect me more than that they may think that, you know, well, that was a smart political decision. And on this case, when we're talking about what people really want, I mean, Kathleen Sebelius, the architect of the Affordable Care Act, has said that my plan is, 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 is efficient and effective and the way to get actually actual coverage. And here's the thing. The bottom line is, that, is this. Like we could talk about how we got here. Let's talk about where we are. 
On the one hand, you've got the vice president and then Mayor Buttigieg, who've got a plan that by their own recognition will not cover 10 million people. That is 10 times the size of Delaware's population. It is 100 times the size of South Bend's population. On the other side, you've got the Warren Sanders plan, which will take away people's choice. I know my plan is the best plan, and I'm sticking with it. Let's talk about the economy. I mean, the economy is doing great. The stock market's going through the roof. People with their 401ks and mutual funds, you know, they they are doing really well. The president keeps saying how, you know, things are great. Things are great. You've been traveling around the country. Things great? Absolutely not. First of all, stock market is great. Well, that's fine if you own stocks. 72% of the stocks in America are owned by the top 10% of the population. They talk about, oh, the economy's doing great and refer to the the unemployment numbers. Well, yes, people are working. They're working two and three jobs. And in the America I believe in, people should only have to work one job to have a roof over their head and put food on the table. That's why I say economic justice is on the ballot. That's why I'm running for president, to put in place what will be the biggest middle-class tax cut we've had in generations, which is for families that make less than $100,000 a year, they'll get a tax credit of up to $6,000 a year that they can take home at $500 a month. Because the reality in America today is almost half of American families cannot afford a $400 unexpected expense. The reality in America today is more than half of American families will go bankrupt because of a $500 medical bill. These are the realities. And Jonathan, on the issue of the economy, I will tell you that one of the, 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 the clear differences between me and a number of folks on that debate stage is that my, my plan is about uplifting working middle-class families. So my plan is about the biggest middle-class tax cut. My plan is about a federal investment in closing the teacher pay gap, which nationally is $13,500 a year. My plan is about saying child care should not cost more than 7% of your income. My plan is about saying that there will be six months of paid family leave because we have so many working families that are taking care of their young kids and their aging parents. My plan is about saying equal pay, because women in America are making 80 cents on the dollar, black women 61 cents, Native American women 58 cents, Latinas 53 cents. My plan is about saying we're going to bring down the cost of pharmaceutical drugs, because I've taken on the pharmaceutical companies before and won. And I know how they've been jacking up prices to the point that for a vial of insulin in America, which one in four diabetes patients cannot afford, it can cost up to $300. In Canada, it's around $30. So I have a plan to take on the pharmaceutical companies and create fair prices and market prices that are the average of what people are charged with around the country. If you look at my plan overall, it is about uplifting middle-class families today and tomorrow, not 10 and 30 years from now. Because frankly, when you look at some of the other plans, it's kind of like a democratic version of trickle down. You want to be specific? Who are you talking about? I think I've made my point. You don't want to say who you're talking about? Come on, be specific. Real talk. um, Real talk. uh, Real talk. You can talk about starting a revolution. You can talk about upending systems. But to what end? What I'm focused on is the fact that That father is sitting at his kitchen table at midnight, 
after everybody else has gone to sleep in his household, working two jobs, trying to figure out how he's going to get through the end of the month and keep a roof over his family's head and keep food in the, t- in the, in the fridge. And he needs something to happen immediately, not 10, 20, 30 years from now. And that's what I'm offering. What about farmers? Yes. Um, you know, there's the trade war going on. Um, the, we've got soybeans rotting in silos. The Chinese have taken their market elsewhere. But President Trump has come to the rescue and he's giving, giving, those, farmers, giving those farmers a bailout. Um, so are they, are they fine? Why should they, why should they l- listen to you? So first of all, the reason that farmers in America are looking at bankruptcy is because Donald Trump informed by a fragile ego and unilateral action deployed by a tweet engaged in so-called trade policy that has resulted in cutting off markets to our farmers to be able to sell their soybeans, in this case to China, and has resulted in, in bankruptcy for so many or the, or the threat of bankruptcy. We're looking at the fact that, that uh, the American consumer, on average, is going to spend more than $1,000 more on everything from clothing to washing machines because of the so-called trade policy, the tariffs. I call it the Trump trade tax. Um, you're looking at the fact that workers across the country, 300,000 because of his so-called trade policy, have lost their jobs. So, you know, across the board, you know, Donald Trump sold people out. And he sold out working people because he made a whole lot of promises to working people, everyone from farmers to auto workers. He said, I got you. I see you. I'll, I'll take care of you. And then look what has happened. And, and in addition to the fact that he passes a tax bill benefiting the top 1% and the biggest corporations of America. I'm looking forward on day one to repealing that tax bill. Let's talk about criminal justice and and real real talk here. Yeah. Because when you know, I look on my Twitter feed, I hear from from black people who are like, "Oh, Kamala Harris, you know, she put she put black people in jail. She arrested black parents." Um, it, address that. First of all, let's just talk about the fact that um, folks have good reason to distrust the criminal justice system. It is that very distrust of the criminal justice system that I grew up with that that was the reason I decided to become a prosecutor because I knew how this is a system that all too often resulted not in justice but injustice for certain communities and in particular communities of color. That's why I made the decision to become a prosecutor. Let's say, the, uh, and here's the other piece. Let's talk about the debate stage. On the debate stage, you've got people who wrote the crime bill, who voted for the crime bill, and many people who only uh, attained a language of reform of the criminal justice system since they've been thinking about running for president. I decided to go up the rough side of the mountain and have been in that space of doing that work for almost two decades. So... I will match my record on this against anybody on that debate stage. I have spent my life and my career working on reform of a system that I know too often has resulted in injustice for specific communities and particularly the black community in America, which is why I am running for president. One of the reasons is to do what I know a president can do to reform the system. My whole 
perspective on this is we have got to end this mass incarceration, this, the, the, the fact of mass incarceration. I have witnessed it firsthand. My plan includes what we need to do around sentencing reform, what we need to do around clemency, what we need to do to expunge records, what we need to do to, to, to reinstate voting rights for those who have been incarcerated. My plan includes what I know needs to happen around uh, accountability for law enforcement, which includes not only police but also prosecutors. I'm prepared to, to require that the Department of Justice explicitly have the authority to not only investigate pattern and practice of abuse in police departments, but also pattern and practice of abuse in prosecutors' offices. I have a particular focus on incarcerated women, which another area where I have worked on over the years, and what we need to do to de-incarcerate women and recognize that in America's criminal justice system, in addition to Donald Trump's immigration policy, we've had child separation policies in effect. And we need, to, we need to recognize that and, and, and end policies that have been about separating mothers from their children. Can I have you elaborate on something you said at the beginning of this, um, of your response to my question? You've been up the rough side of the mountain. Yes. What does that mean? What that means is there is sometimes a nice paved trail <laughs> <laughs> with which you could, on, on which you can hike up the mountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then on the other side of the mountain, there is, a, there is not a trail, or it, very few have gone up it, and so it makes the process a little more rough to get where you want to go. Um, so where, where were you going? What were you, what were you trying to do? What I'm getting at yeah. is, because I, under, I understand the rough side of the mountain, if you are interested in criminal justice reform, the way usually people do it is not through the prosecutor's office by becoming a prosecutor. But that was my point, it's Jonathan. To, but that was my point. We have to be everywhere. We can't who's just... Who's we? Any one of us who know the injustice of a system and want to change it and fight against the injustice to create justice. We have to be everywhere. We, we need to be on the outside. And we need to be on the inside where the decisions are being made. We should never be in a position of saying, oh, we don't belong there. Never. I will never accept that as an option. Oh, we don't belong there. Let's be clear about this. There, we're not getting rid of prosecutors. <laughs> like, where is this going? <laughs> we're not getting rid of prosecutors. All, all people... All reasonable people will agree. If a child is molested, if a woman is raped, if one human being kills another human being, there should be serious consequence and accountability. All reasonable people will, will agree on that. We want a system that is fair and is just, but all people will agree that there are certain behaviors that require consequence and accountability. So there will always be prosecutors. So then... Don't we want, like, let's talk about where the, this logically ends. Don't we want that the people who worship in our church, who, who are, who play, whose children play with ours, who, who, who go to the same community center, who come from the same community or neighborhood, don't we want that they will be among those who are making decisions about the life and liberty of the people in our community? You write in your you wrote in your in your book um, about how th- when you were San Francisco DA, 
Um, and I don't know if this was a specific mother or if this, the, the vignette you write in the book was a composite of a lot of people mm-hmm. where black mothers, black people would show up at your office yes. or at the, where the building where your office was and specifically ask for you. Yes, they did. Why was that significant? What did that tell you? Well, so they, it, it would, you know, basically go like this. A woman would show up at the front desk and say, I want to talk to Kamala. I only want to talk to Kamala. And the receptionist would come get me and say, there's another mother here. And I'd go and greet her and bring her back to my office, and she would sit in my office and cry and talk about the fact that no one was taking the death of her, the killing of her baby seriously, her adult son. That if my son maybe died of, in a car accident or cancer, people would, would appreciate it, but no one is respecting the depth of my grief. Why aren't they out? investigating this case why are they looking at me like I should have expected this or my son and this is a statistic and therefore not significant if this were happening on the other side of town there would be a bunch of people investigating and hunting down witnesses what about justice for my son why isn't anyone returning my calls when I ask what's going on with the investigation This would happen all the time. And they knew that if they came to me, I would see them as a mother who was grieving for the loss of her child. I'm going to switch gears and go to foreign policy. Okay, good. You're, you're president of the United States. It's January 20th, 2021. You, you've watched the parade and done all that stuff. And now you're in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing you do you would do to send a signal to the world that the united states is back and by back i mean bulwark of democracy supportive of the uh, of all of its alliances and turning a back on dictators well the first thing well there's there's a number of things um and i can multitask um it would include re-entering the paris agreement it would, because literally that would be the day to do it. Um, it would be re-engaging our allies in NATO. It would be signaling that we are prepared to, to re-enter and renegotiate the re-entry um, around the Iran nuclear deal. It would be that we would make very clear that anyone who attacks our democracy is going to have to pay some kind of consequence and that we take seriously an attack on our democracy. And by that, I'm talking specifically about our elections infrastructure. These are some of the things we would do immediately. But there, and, and why are we having this conversation? Because we know Donald Trump has exacted profound harm on our relationships that, are, that have supported our national security. We are now in a situation where America's word is at question, where, you know, any relationship, we know this in our personal lives, any relationship, a strong relationship, is built on trust and truth and consistency and loyalty. He values none of those things. So we're going to have to reengage and build those things back up. Because why? 
Well, one, because that has always been part of our strength when we walk into any room around the globe, which is that we are considered to be a trusted and reliable partner. Two, equally, if not more important, it's, it's in our national security interest to have relationships of that quality and caliber. All right. You talked about him. You mentioned him again. So let's talk about him, President Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we're now in day 60-whatever of the impeachment inquiry. We've just gone through two weeks. Has it been that many days? It has. <laughs> we, we have gone through two weeks of unbelievable testimony. I don't know how much you've been able to see. Not, not, I've seen some, but not a lot. Um, are you surprised that more Republicans, or actually not more, any Republican has come out to rebuke or censure the president or say that what he has done is not just, quote, inappropriate, but flat out wrong. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've been in the Senate now almost three years, and um, I have seen profiles in courage, and those same individuals um, have chosen not to run for re-election. Or, you know, of course, there was the late, great John McCain. Um, So... I, I, I'm deeply um, concerned and, of course, disappointed. I, I hope that even if the electeds don't speak up, that the American people, regardless of who they voted for in the last election, will speak up because we all know, whether we say it out loud or not, we all know that this is wrong. We know that. We know this is wrong. You can find a thousand ways to justify it. It is wrong. And um, this is a moment that I think is really challenging that notion of whether folks are willing to put country before party. And we'll see what happens. Um, If there is, well, it looks like the president's going to be impeached, which means that it'll move over to the Senate where there will be a trial of some some length. Who knows? It Mm -hmm. It's in the hands of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. But if that happens, when that happens, you're a juror. Four of your fellow candidates for president would be jurors. Warren, Sanders, Bennett, Booker, Klobuchar. Klobuchar. And Klobuchar. So six others. Um, What you going to do? I'll be there. It's my constitutional responsibility. And um, but it'll it'll definitely it'll depending on the timing of it, it's going to put a strain on our campaign. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. But, um, you know, as I said, country before party, this is a matter of, as I say all the time, um, a fight for our democracy and the integrity of our system of democracy. Um, I know just a second ago you, you were talking about how like this is this is wrong this is what the president what we know just from open source reporting and even the the testimony that what the president has done is wrong but does that mean that you have already come to a conclusion about whether to convict if there's convict and removal from office 
um, once the trial is done? I mean, look, I am not blind or deaf. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I don't want to, let's not be cute about it, okay? (laughs) Based on what I've seen, yeah, there's evidence there to convict. But I will listen and, 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 and I will pay very close and serious attention to the presentation of evidence um, in the Senate. Um, one of the things that we hear from Democrats, either in polling or, you know, person on the street interviews, whatever, is that one, Democratic voters want President Trump gone. Mm-hmm. But two, they want someone who they feel can go toe to toe with the guy. Yes. Someone who can who can fight Donald Trump. And there are folks who are like, well, I don't know if Kamala can go can fight Trump. Oh, that I've not heard. <laughs> at all um that that that's not our problem no that's actually not our problem <laughs> um people are very well aware they've seen me take on everyone from jeff sessions to bill barr to brett kavanaugh that is not our problem people know i've taken on transnational criminal organizations i've taken on the biggest banks of the united states i've taken on big oil companies and i've won so that's not our problem you know what my 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 issue is we are now in a stage of this campaign where there are billionaires in this race where there are people who have a lot of money and we need to push our message out and have the money to do it that's the issue that's Mm -hmm. the issue so now Please pardon a selfless, a, 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 a shameless plug. Please, if you want me on that <laughs> stage, go to KamalaHarris.org and donate <laughs> because it is expensive and we need to push our message out. Um, but thankfully, of the various um, issues that come up with each candidate mm-hmm. ours is not an issue about whether we can go toe-to-toe with donald trump <laughs> well don't feel bad about doing the shameless plug because cory booker did it a couple weeks ago okay, so, you, so you, you are so right, you are right, so right, you are right. fine before i get on the, the the billionaires the billionaires kick i'm going to stick with trump and and fear of trump why do you think he hasn't given you a derisive nickname i can't go in the mind of that man i just it's why do that <laughs> Um, you know, but I think you think that, he's afraid of you. Well, I listen. What I know is this: I know he has reason to be afraid of me. That I do know. Okay, <laughs> I'm scared, <laughs> and I'm not even running, and I'm not him. All right, let's. I mean, but let we'll, me we'll just say, let me say yeah. why, Jonathan. He is a lawless president. He is lawless. He has no respect for the rule of law. He has tried to circumvent the law countless times. I have spent my entire career enforcing the law and protecting and defending the rule of law. He is a predator. I have had a lifetime of career of going after predators. He is someone who profited from a for-profit college I put one of the biggest for-profit colleges out of business. And I could go on and on. I am everything he is not. And that's what your, that incredible ad you dropped the day of the, the debate, that it, it, make, it makes that, that point. Um, 
so let's talk about about billionaires, which is not a a not so veiled hit at Tom Steyer. Well, it's not a hit. It's just a, it's accurate. It's a description. <laughs> Tom no, I mean it really and, is. And, and Mike it's, it's not a hit. I mean, I don't think that before they were running for president that they thought it was anything other than a compliment. <laughs> All right. So, well, do you actually think, do you actually think that having a lot of money guarantees someone's success? I think that you have to um, ultimately have the ability to build coalition, to generate enthusiasm, and to be connected with the issues that keep people up at night to win. But if people don't know you exist, they won't have, they won't, they won't then, you can't be propelled by all of those things. And so the, the tragic reality, and listen, we need to, we need to, to, to overturn Citizens United. We need to take money out of politics. But the sad reality is that there are people who are spending millions and millions. And in, you know, in, in the case of Bloomberg, I, I saw you know, on the news, you know, in excess of $30 million in TV ads. It's extremely expensive. That means that, that, you know, while people are sitting down, you know, watching the football game, watching their favorite show, watching the evening news, they're repeatedly having images of a person. They're getting information about their background. They're, they're starting to feel a sense of familiarity with that candidate. But all of that is a function of how much money you have to put those ads up. And if you're not there on TV, which is the main place where you can reach the largest number of people, people won't know you exist, which means that when a pollster calls them and says, well, who you support? And they won't know that you're there. That's a reality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm hustling. I'm, I'm trying to raise money. Um, in addition to spending time with people in their living rooms, in, you know, in, in their communities, because that, for me, is what, what is... I think the most important, but you can only touch so many people by doing that. Do you think that, uh, so Mike Bloomberg, yes, he, he is a multi-billionaire, but he's also a former three-term mayor of the largest city in the country. So does that not give him a, a leg up in the billionaire sweepstakes in terms of being taken I'm seriously? Not, I mean, I'm not going to compare the billionaires, but, but, but listen, Everyone on the debate stage, um, figuratively on the debate stage, has some um, qualifications. So that's, that's not the point. The point is, is that money should not determine the outcome of who becomes president of the United States. How much money you have should not, because that's just, it goes against the very, uh, that goes against the very, um, nature and and the values of who we are right in america it should not be that it is the people who have the most money who succeed in fact that's part of what's wrong right now which is why you know people are you know worried about the the future of our country when we've had rules that over the years have benefited um you know the very rich and not the people who are working hard every day you know and on that point i'm never going to vilify anybody for working hard and achieving success um ever i will never do that so i'm not hating anybody for working hard and achieving financial success but 
we do have to acknowledge that the rules are not necessarily written in a way that is fair in terms of there's an assumption that everyone's starting out on the same level and people aren't. Um, What's your what's your path? I mean, one of the to victory, because there's that famous quote that you, I guess, was picked up on a hot mic in Washington. You were talking to one of your your colleagues and you, you said you were. Blanking, moving to Iowa. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Maisie Hirono. <laughs> of Hawaii. Who I, of Hawaii, who's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And so so talk about Iowa and how and the differences in terms of campaigning between Iowa and South Carolina, beyond the obvious. Um, they're very similar. I mean, in terms of it's it's about, you know, it's what we call, you know, retail politics. It's about being engaged and interactive and being in community. And, you know, I was, you know, just last night, my last event of I don't know how many um, in, in, in Columbia was to, to be in, 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 in a home of a local family, and they invited their friends to have a conversation about the issues. It was not a fundraiser. It was just a, an event where people were sitting down to, to talk and listen. Um, and it's the same thing I do in Iowa. Uh, you know, including I've, I've, you know, helped families cook Sunday dinner. <laughs> and, <laughs> We're going to get to that, yeah, too. Yes. Um, so it, it is very similar. And, you know, both of these states, if we're comparing the two, I think know the significance of, of their vote to the overall outcome of the, of the election and, and take it seriously. Can you keep going if you don't do well in Iowa, and I say not win, but do well because we still have eighteen, nineteen people in the race, and so who knows what's going to happen? But I mean, can, we'll see. We have to do, but we do need to do well in Iowa, and um, and we need to raise the money to be on TV there. Can you keep going if you don't win South Carolina? I, I mean, I'll deal with that down the road, but I, I, I fully believe that we would be extremely competitive in South Carolina. I really don't have any question in my mind about that. You mentioned you mentioned cooking Sunday dinner with folks yes. uh, yesterday here in South Carolina. And for folks who don't know, you love to cook. I do. You love to cook. I do. Chicken is your, ba- is your big thing. It's just, yeah, it's easy. <laughs> uh-huh. But with, with Thanksgiving coming. Yes. Um, and people cooking. I, we happened to be at the same television studio yesterday, <laughs> and my husband, Nick, for full disclosure, volunteered on your campaign he launch did. in Oakland. Yes. But he sent me here with some questions for you, which mm-hmm. I asked you yesterday because he wanted to know whether to brine or yes, not brine, yes, yes, wet yes. or dry, yes, which yes, is a complete yes. foreign language uh, to, you. to me. <laughs> but um, for those who might be wondering, yes. With the turkey, yeah. you, brine, not brine, dry, uh, yeah, wet. Yes, brine. I, um, it, it, so it also it also depends. First of all, just if you have um, a kosher turkey, don't brine because that has salt. Um, read the label of the turkey because you know. And then there are some turkeys that have stuff in them. You know. So if it says if there are words beyond contents, turkey. <laughs> <laughs> What could that be? <laughs> well, you know, some of these they they inject them with things, you uh, know, okay. like like butter and salt and stuff. It's easy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so let's start there. Okay, <laughs> um, I think a dry brine is better. I, I 
I, I do. Um, and, and, and it's simple, just salt. And, and well, I do salt and pepper. Um, you know, just rub that baby up, right, all over inside the cavity and then under the skin, like under the breast skin. Just salt and pepper in your hands? And yes. Do you like, put oil on your hands? Or no, just, but, but no, do just, wash your hands what? before. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes. It's, okay, that's where and, I was. And take off your rings, and, you right? Know, okay. right? Uh huh. Okay, and, and go then on. Sorry. Just, and then for, I mean, ideally, you'd let it sit like that for like forty-eight hours, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, when you're ready to cook it, I would put some butter up under the skin, and I like to, you know, I have herbs in my garden at home, so chop up some herbs, even just some thyme. And then stuff the, the cavity with herbs. You could even like cut a, le- a lemon in half or an orange. Um, and, you know, and then separately you do your stock, your chicken stock with the giblets and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the beginning of, of the meal. Where are you spending Thanksgiving? In Iowa. Oh, in, in Iowa. Yes. And are you... I'm cooking. You're cooking. Yes. And are you doing campaign staff or are you showing, knocking up like is, sweepstakes oh, oh, we're gonna start at with someone's the, house? We're, we're going to start with the turkey trot. Oh. <laughs> yes. We're starting with the turkey trot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're going to be handing out... It's a, it's a run, like many places, right. right? A Thanksgiving morning run. My brother-in-law is going to run in it. Tony, Tony, Tony West. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and many of our campaign team members mm-hmm. are going to, I think, run in it. And... Um, and we're going to be spending the day in Iowa, meeting and greeting with folks, and then I'll be cooking. Wow. Um, well, I'll be in Washington. Yes, um, what are you doing? It, well, Nick is cooking. Okay, Nick good. is cooking, uh-huh. and he's dry u- brine, using, dry using brine. Your, your dry brine, yes. uh-huh. your dry brine um, recommendations. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and I'm getting my sweet potatoes from South Carolina, by the way. Oh. So while I'm here in South Carolina, I'm getting my sweet potatoes to take with me to Iowa. Uh-huh. And how are you going to – are you doing, like – Candied sweet potatoes, yes. you know, whipped sweet potatoes. No, I don't. I don't do marshmallows. So uh-huh. you know, I just, I, it's just, I it actually. But my sister likes marshmallows. I might, <laughs> maybe I'll do half of it with marshmallows. Um, but yeah, with just some brown sugar and butter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh-huh. And cinnamon, mm. a little cinnamon. Cinnamon, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, the crunchy on the top. Yes. You know, the, yes. 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 Okay. Mac and cheese. Yes, for sure. Collard greens. Oh, absolutely. I'm getting my greens from South Carolina also. So I'm getting two things from South Carolina that I'm taking with me. Mm-hmm. I'm getting my collard greens, and I'm getting my sweet potatoes. And I'm all of them fresh here, grown here. And then I'm taking, you know, I'm going to just be a good country woman. I'm taking my bags. Wait, are you, che- wait, are you checking? <laughs> I'm taking my bags of groceries with me to Iowa. <laughs> I don't care. Look, I, I listen. I am all about having a good meal. I don't care how it looks. If anybody sees me, I will be in the airport carrying my greens and my sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would, you know, what? I should just follow you and get pictures of that because that. Just the other day, on my way back to Washington, I saw Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney uh-huh. in the TSA line be getting a pat down because he got randomly selected. I Aww, thought that was kind of hilarious. Guy. He's a good guy. Um. Let me and kind of where we where we started, and and that is sort of in the cha- the change what I viewed as the change in in tone and demeanor, yeah. and ask you a question about so the way people perceive you. What do you say to people who say, you know? There's just something. There's something about her, about her, about Kamala. I just don't. I just don't trust her. 
And some of that comes because of the criminal justice stuff and mm-hmm. comes from other things. And you're, sh- you're shaking your head back and forth. Talk, talk to well, that. Well, I mean, even as you know, when I did an event in Iowa, an LGBTQ event, and, um, and the question that was presented to me on an issue that was similar to the question that was presented to another candidate, to me it was, well, how can we trust you? To the other candidate, it was, well, you, you have evolved on this issue. Um, so, you know, again, I just, I think that I've, I've already spoken on the issue of the criminal justice system, which is that I, I understand right. the concerns about trust, but, um, look, I mean, the, the reality of it is that there are very few examples of someone like me. In fact, there are none being president of the United States. And people are trying to figure it out because it's something they've not necessarily seen before. And so maybe some people, because they don't have a point of reference, go to a place of, of asking about trust. But, you know, that's not what the people in South Carolina are saying. That's not. So, you know, it's, I can only, you know, give you so much in terms of helping people understand what, what their concerns or their issues might be. But the bottom line is this. When you talk about um, about caution, I think it, it's important for you to understand that mine has been a career of making very difficult decisions my entire career. Mine has not been a career of giving lovely speeches or you know um, you know kind of ideas for bills that may or may not get passed. Mine has been a career of making decisions. Mine has been a career of when I say something, it actually happens. And when it happens, it has a direct impact on somebody's life. So yes, I am very thoughtful about what I say. Because I believe it will actually happen. So a lot of what I say in my career is not just about rhetoric for the sake of a tweet or for the sake of saying something that ends with an exclamation point for applause. It's about that I know it will actually happen and is it the right thing? How will it impact people? So I think about that. And, you know, and, and perhaps it's, it, it is well that that experience is well suited for running for president. Perhaps sometimes it is not well suited for running for president. But when I say something, it's because I mean it. Not for the sake of um, popularity, but because I actually think it might happen. Senator Kamala Harris of the great state of California and candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination. Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. To you too, my dear. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.